0: American Capitalism, A History, with Lewis Hyman and Edward Baptist. The American apartheid of Jim Crow was still very much alive and well in the 1950s, as part of both the larger system of racial segregation and control, as well as American capitalism. And insofar as the ways in which white supremacy was rendered natural through the everyday practices of racial segregation in consumption, so too did the focus of consumption as a place to resist that white supremacy make possible part of the civil rights movement. So that when people sit down at a counter and demand, well not demand, but simply ask, offer money in exchange for pie and coffee, It's not just about pie and coffee. It's not just about food and drink. It's about freedom. It's about resisting that Jim Crow order. And so just as tea becomes a way to articulate a certain kind of politics during the American Revolution, so too do forms of consumption become a way to articulate freedom during the Civil Rights Revolution. In some sense, this kind of Civil Rights Consumer Revolution was very conservative. It was simply the desire of a new middle-class African-American to spend money. The people who were involved in many of these early sit-ins were college students, relatively affluent. They dressed well. And when they went to these sit-ins, they wore their Sunday best. So they looked respectable. And all they wanted to do was spend money. And so in this way, they used a certain kind of capitalist logic, right, the consumerist logic of the post-war, the most natural way to be American is to spend money, right? This is how we differentiated ourselves from Soviet Russia. On the other hand, there was white supremacy, the other great theme in American history. And so through this, there was a confrontation between, on the one hand, the freedom of consumer capitalism and the oppression of white supremacy, made real, made tangible at these lunch counters. In most of the South, it was impossible for most African-Americans to actually get sit-down service at the counters at places like Woolworths or other kinds of restaurants. Now, what's interesting is that Woolworths had a counter as well as being part of a discount chain. Now, what's interesting is also that this is at first dismissed as college hijinks by observers, and police were brought in to remove them. But as one retailer noted, It was difficult to sell a, quote, Negro a ribbon at the notions counter while you're having his friend arrested at the lunch counter. And so there's this contradiction. On the one hand, retailers don't want to offend white customers. But on the other hand, they don't want to offend black customers either. And so they are caught in this contradiction between the white racial order and desire to make profits. At this point, black Americans weren't asking for the vote. They were just asking to spend their money. And so what could be more conservative? What could also have been more radical? As one southern department store manager remarked, quote, after this eating thing has settled down, we're going to have more upheaval. It's a social revolution, and we can't have it painlessly. And he was right. It was just the beginning of the civil rights movement. And in places where white retailers did resist, like in Birmingham, Alabama, there were multi-pronged protest movements and boycotts. For instance, in 1962, there was an Easter boycott of all the stores that had arrested black people for shopping. This is crazy. Easter is a tremendous time to spend money, especially in the African-American community. These stores witnessed a 90% drop in black spending. It was a stunning defeat for white retail. In cities across the South, college students, religious leaders, and working class African-Americans united to claim what was theirs under the logic of consumer capitalism, under the logic of the free enterprise system. And just like in the American Revolution, this became a way to articulate the everyday politics of, of civil rights, a way to bring people together who had been segregated on buses, had been segregated at the lunch counter, been segregated at their jobs together in this common experience. This black consumers movement laid the foundation for the next year's Voting Rights Act. And so this economic power helped lead to a new kind of political power. But what's interesting about this is that this economic power was fundamentally conservative. It didn't challenge anything about wage work. It didn't challenge anything about capitalism. In fact, it used the very most foundational notions of consumer rights against that of racial inequality. But it was radical in the way that it disordered the Jim Crow establishment that had been so naturalized by the everyday practices of consumer white supremacy. For more information, go to edx.org and look for American Capitalism: a history with Lewis Hyman and Edward Baptist. Or go to facebookcom American Capitalism This podcast has been brought to you by Cornell X from Cornell University.